This is just a quick message to say that the following podcast contains some strong language and adult humour. But with that out of the way, let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Talking Theatre Podcast, a podcast that aims to talk all things theatre. I'm Luke. And I'm Tom. And each episode we get together to talk with theatre professionals, emerging theatre artists and members of theatre in general about their work, their earliest memory of theatre and what makes theatre so special to them more generally. So to put it simply, we just chat about why theatre is so great with people that love theatre. So if like us you're just a lover of theatre in general, this is the podcast for you. You can listen and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and while you're there it would be grateful if you could drop a five-star review and leave a comment about who you'd like to see us speak to in future episodes and where can people go if they want to know more about us tom that's a good question you can catch up on what we're up to on twitter and instagram at the talking theatre podcast and similarly if you're interested in collaborating with us at all on an episode you can email us to be slightly more professional at the talking theatre podcast at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can and on this week's episode there'll be some of this say that I hope that I don't have to get the beat machine out for this um, and I don't think I will I'll try and contain my words there'll definitely be some of this and I think if they're a lot more honest about it and not scared to be like this is controversial at the time and even this what if we end up being locked back in our houses again it's all right saying theatres are opening up and whatever so thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Talking Theatre Podcast and let's get on with the show We're back. We are back. How you doing, mate? I'm not too bad, thank you. It feels good to be back, I guess, and on this new platform or platforms, whichever platform Alice yeah, happens gone, to be listening on. We've gone professional this time. We've actually tried to do it on proper podcast place. It's a shame we're not doing it in person, but obviously, you know, you've got to adapt to <laughs> adapt to the cards that you've been dealt. Yeah, it's a bit of a still a bit of a weird one for theatre at the moment in the UK. I mean, not just theatre, but everyone in general. I, I, I like to think we're, we're we're coming towards the light at the end of the tunnel now. We're getting there, at least I, over halfway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think you know, for a bit of context for any of our listeners out there that might not necessarily be tuning in from the UK, like where we are, we happen to find ourselves in a third lockdown. And I'm using inverted commas at the moment because I think there's yeah. a sensitive issue surrounding that. But we find ourselves in the same kind of position. But as you say, there is some light at the end of the tunnel because we keep having new vaccines uh, developed and and we keep vaccinating extremely quickly, which is And this time, McDonald's drive-thrus are open. So that's a bit of a difference. Exactly. Um, (laughs) <laughs> you've got to find happiness in the small places now don't you exactly um <laughs> but yeah things things seem to be getting i mean we're in a we're in a bit of a bad peak at the moment to be to be quite honest i i truly do believe in in hope and all that cheesy cheesy glorified uh, happy stuff so i think in time soon rather than later we will be we'll be coming out the other side but anyway no one wants to talk about lockdown anymore we, we, we we've lived through it three times now so we want to hear luke mate what have you been up to theater wise while the world is shut down what have you been doing? I mean, I've been trying to keep as busy as possible, and I'm still working with digital dramatists. We've got a great year ahead of us in terms of the programmes that we're working on, and we've just launched something called Monologue Mondays. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, which is a series of new monologues and so forth, performed by artists that we've either worked with or are working with at the moment. And we're currently preparing for our first showcase of the year. 
Well, I mean, I I mean, I know everything about this because obviously we do just talk outside of the podcast. But for those who don't know what digital dramatist is, give, give a bit of a description of what digital dramatists. Is. Yeah, definitely. I probably should have prefaced that in the first start. Bit, <laughs> I? Yeah. I was there nodding along like, oh my god, this is amazing, but no one else knows what it is. So yeah, go on. So basically, digital dramatist is an American-based digital theatre company that was founded last June by Kelsey Price, and we focus on new and emerging work in the digital capacity, both live and pre-recorded forms. The company was essentially set up to keep creating while in quarantine and i mean you've worked with us tom so you know a little have bit I? oh my god oh, I, no, I know yeah. apparently you, have. <laughs> you worked with us on our exposure showcase i did last indeed. year which was part of our international program and it's kind of what i've been working at but the showcase was good i feel like you haven't really spoken about the showcase much well the exposure one yeah well yeah because it happened the actual performance happened after our first uh, series wrapped and was, mm. was all, I mean, months after our first series wrapped. So yeah, we haven't really discussed it. I thought it was great. And we're not done yet with it either. Um, also, I've just, a, just a, I may have said earlier that we're, we're moving slightly more professional boundaries by being on sort of Spotify and Apple Apple Music and stuff like that. But if you're here walking around, the room I'm currently in is sat under my neighbor's staircase. So I don't have any idea how much is coming through. But if you hear any weird creaks and stuff, it is just that. Because uh, still at home, still living at home. But, so um, I aren't we all? Back Aren't in the we old bedroom. Old. <laughs> oh, the old family family house. That's what we want to be in. But yeah, so I mean, Luke, you've been keeping very busy. You've been you've been head down gunning for it. So what about you? Ah, oh, mate, it's been strange. <laughs> I've been doing bits and pieces of theatre. I've basically just been finding lots of applications for for script submissions and various other bits and pieces to plays and so on. Uh, so I've sent a lot of those off. I've managed to motivate myself, which has always been a good thing, and I see it as a massive victory that I have, to finish a play that I've been trying to write for a while, uh, sort of a fringe-length, absurdist uh, drama that I've been trying to do. Um, so I've sent off a few places. And that's that. I mean, I'm waiting for. I won't get response for like a couple of months. I don't think for any of those. But I don't know, it's, it's always a good start. And as well, probably the most exciting thing is myself and Megan Bassnett have started a theatre company, which is very early days. But yeah, so we've set that up, and we'll be we'll be sort of probably peppering with more information along the line as it gets built up and growing. So it's an exciting time. It is, and I'm really excited to see the kind of work that your company is going to going to create. We are as you probably worked out by this point, hoping to be practising theatre professionals. But mm. we're also just lovers of theatre, and that's one yeah. of the reasons, one of the main reasons, I guess, as to why, we, why we're making this podcast, because mm. we believe in the power of theatre and the power of the community that theatre has within it and understanding and getting to know more people and people that just enjoy theatre in general. I think that that's really important, especially at a time like now when yeah. theatre is, unfortunately, uh, in a bit of a different a different scenario than what it was a year exactly ago. and we also used to butt heads a lot in seminars so it's always good to get a bit of a discussion going <laughs> we used to have some uh, strong we used to have some strong worded arguments whether it was in the classroom or not but yeah so hey i mean we've got lots of exciting stuff going on but this first episode is going to be a bit of a recap isn't it it is a bit of a see what's changed over the, the, the course of the, the last sort of few months and basically checking in what we said before and if we still agree with it if we want to discuss it anymore and what will carry on for the future. So, I mean, should we get on to what we are going to know as our first proper episode of the Talking Theatre podcast? Let's do it. So, 
So, since this is our first episode of the, the new series, we thought we'd probably, you know, have a bit of a chat, get to know each other a bit better, and just have a chat about <laughs> some of our favourite discussions and possibly most heated topics from our, our original series on YouTube, and sort of have a little reflection on what we both said, you know, however many months later it is. Exactly, I think that's quite useful because I think ch- things have changed quite a bit oh, yeah. since then, and I think it's always worth seeing if we still agree with what we what we said back then. So we've got yeah. a number of clips in this in this pilot. And the first one is taken from episode four. And the whole premise of the episode was on online and pre-recorded things. Specifically, this clip is a snippet about live shows that have been recorded to be broadcast to cinemas as part of the National Theatre Live catalogue that started streaming on the National's YouTube channel last month. Have a listen, and we'll check back into you once you've heard what we've had to say. We said in the first episode, I think it was, that uh, the two of us used to have quite heated debates in seminars and things when we were at uni. Mm. We haven't quite done that yet. Um, one on the way today. Maybe one that allows for that. So, uh, <laughs> go on, Luke. <laughs> off on what, what we're going to be talking about properly. Uh, give us some examples. And let's start with your opinion on <laughs> the streaming theatre. Now, I'm going to preface this and say that I hope that I don't have to get the beat machine out for this. And I don't think I will. I'll try and contain my words. But I absolutely hate it. I mean, instead, I have a strong opinion on this. And the reason I hate it is because there's so many cameras. They literally cut every three seconds. There isn't a single camera which I could sit in the top row of the upper circle or something like that and actually see the whole stage. The great thing about the theatre is we, as an audience, can look at exactly what we want to look at. If I want to look at someone that's upstage right, then I can look at someone that's upstage right at this. No, I'm going to have my eye directed by probably not even the person who directed the piece of theatre, by a film director who specialises in this, saying, you're going to look at specifically at this actor's face right now, and they're going to have a certain reaction that I want you to see, which I don't trust that you might have seen if you had seen this originally. There's so many cameras as it moves, it pans lovely across the stage, it's all shot very nicely, but that's not anything like you'd expect in the theatre. Put me one camera right in the middle, great. I can see the whole stage, it's all working, and I like that. But don't cut every three seconds to basically tell me what I should be watching because that is not what theatre is, and that is not what theatre should be. Right. I'm going to pause you right there. Probably best. So, one 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 thing that is sort of poking into my head when I was listening to you do that, I know I've only been part of amateur dramatic societies and productions. I've never done a big scale, something like the National or, mm. or like the Old Vic or something like that. I haven't done anything like that. So I can't talk for them. And obviously their budget is extortionately larger than what I've been working with. But one thing I can say is trying to film a theatrical production with theatre lights, changing lights, sets, costume, intimacies, the characters and so on. Trying to do that on one camera is a nightmare. Constantly be changing the settings and exposures and the all the little details. That I, it's a nightmare. So... The reason they've got lots of cameras is, A, better views of what the actors are doing. And I know that's not quite what theatre is about, and I get that. But it's it's getting good angles and things. It's giving you the best possible view of what it is. And when it does do close-ups, it's very rarely when there's something else happening on stage. Mm. So one production that I saw was uh, Yerma. The, is it Billy Piper, the Yerma? Yeah, it might have been. And the way they filmed that was good because it was in the round traverse or something like that i can't remember what it was but there was two people on the side and it was in a glass box but yeah there was such minimalist set and there was not much going on but the way they filmed it was they just did characters and whenever they did a close-up 
the other character wasn't doing anything anyway. So they do consider these things. For example, when we saw Small Island, they very rarely did that, which is very cinematic and what they do in film. So what they're trying to do is give the best view, the best interpretation of what the production is and trying to show. Because they do do big pans and big wide shots. I understand your gripe, but I disagree. I think A, there's a lot of difficulties around it and they've produced possibly the best compatible component. If they did both, great. If they had two options, if they had like the cinematic one, and then the one that you were suggesting, the big wide one. I think that'd be a good idea. But again, that's a lot more money and a lot more effort to go into it. So, God, hearing that back was horrible. <laughs> For someone who's recording a podcast, don't I listen to a voice back very much. So, now you've heard your uh, your little snippet back, has your opinion changed at all? Or do you stand by your aggressive dislike of digital theatre? Not really, in the sense I've, I don't think it has changed that much. I mean, probably my wording of I hate it, it was probably a little <laughs> quite, bit... Quite strong. <laughs> probably a bit strong. Because I think on reflection, you know, at the time, it, it wasn't necessarily just what the theatre community needed, but I think the country needed that in general in mm. March and April and May, that kind of yeah. escapism that the theatre offers. But like quizzes... I think there's only so many of them that you can do before it becomes something completely different and almost too far removed from its original intention. You're referring to the, the traditional lockdown Zoom quiz, I'm assuming. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it's that strange medium between film and theatre, which to me is so fascinating. It's something that I'm really playing with in my own practice, especially mm. regarding movement. I guess the key word is live, because theatre is a live art form and should continue to be so, because for me that's what makes it special. You know what, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stay by my guns. I agree with everything I said. I think possibly the whole idea I had of having the two options, so you can have it either cinematic or, I think that's ridiculous. Looking back on it, that's obviously the most impractical thing you can do, because it's just too much time, too much money, too much effort. I think, I know, theatre is meant to be live, it's all that, but I think more recently I've been playing a lot with pre-recorded theatre, and how that can work, such as like radio plays and so on. And in a world where you have to adapt, when it is able to adapt in such an efficient way, I see it as just a positive. I see it as a good thing. So we move forward towards the end of our pilot YouTube series. We shift forward on to talking about Shakespeare in school. And this was in episode 9, and the clip that you're about to hear is from an interesting conversation of how Shakespeare has a role within the national curriculum and why we might not approve necessarily of how it's taught. Well, when it comes to especially teaching, they need to be more honest about Shakespeare. Because there's a lot of speculation about what he's being said in terms of it being a contradictory thing. Often joked about is sort of the homosexual nature of Hamlet and Horatio and stuff like that it's joked about it's very rarely in schools said as like a boom this is a possibility of how it was meant to be interpreted or this and that and I think if they're a lot more honest about it and not scared to be like this is controversial at the time but this is new discoveries and it could be this it could be that like I would be so much more engaged because then it makes it more of a there's not a right answer there's not a right interpretation you're open to take Shakespeare however you want to do it because that's the point of art. Mm, Everyone who reads a play or watches a play will take something completely different from it. And Shakespeare is a, such a good example of that because the proof is it's been reproduced for hundreds of years in different contemporary settings, different types of actors, uh, and switching up genders, switching up sexualities, switching up everything in it. And it's, it's, it's remained the same core play. 
So it shows that you can really develop things and develop things in different ways without having to teach it one way and say, this is how it is. This is what Shakespeare meant. This is how it is. Because by that, you just go, okay, great, fine. Iambic pentameter and all that. Yeah, fine. And then you leave school and you're suddenly not inspired by it because it's just been one angle, one angle that you look down and that's it. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. You need to allow honesty and opinion when it comes to this to then really develop it. I do agree with what you say, actually, because there certainly is this level of engagement and this kind of idea that when you're taught Shakespeare, especially in English, that there's so many right answers, but there's not a right answer at all. I think teachers need to be honest and say, this is simply my opinion of what this is. And you can have your opinion because... That's yeah. what art is. All I did for English as a revision was learn quotes and then just reread the book. And you're like, how how is that going to develop in a concept? Because one thing I do enjoy, I did enjoy about the university work we did was while there was an element of in the essays, that is what you had to do. You had to just sort of splurge information and give resources. And this is where you found this because it, it's academic. The essays I got the best in were the ones where I was allowed to, I allowed myself to really get into it and explore everything around it and then give an opinion. And mm. I, get, I got better on those. If you give someone a chance, especially someone who's young and new to a subject, a chance to, to think and actually form their own opinion with the guidance of a teacher, not the authoritative, you will think this then it, it, it's a lot more beneficial. And when they get to sort of university or higher level or just life, there'll be a lot more sort of well-rounded to do, deal with this. I mean. Well, that was... I, you know what? I stand by what I said there. I think I was talking like I knew a lot more about the subject than I actually did and uh, starting bits about how things are taught and stuff. But I agree, you know, give people uh, facilities to uh, form their own opinion as opposed to be told what to think. I think that's that's what inspires people to, to go on. I think for me, listening to that fact, the key thing that I took away from it is exactly what you said when you said all I did for English revision was learn quotes and reread the book. And I guess when you reflect on that now, like when you're at school, a lot of your subjects that you do at GCSE and further, I guess it's not so much A-level because you technically choose those subjects yourself. Yeah. A lot of fact-based subjects. Oh, yeah. 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 And I kind of take the example of if you do an exam and you're asked like what the chemical formula is and Bear, bear the tangent for a second, but if you ask what the <laughs> chemical um, formula is for carbon dioxide and you put O2, you are wrong because we know that it's CO2. But English isn't a science. Yeah. English is an art, and it's, art is all about interpretation. But what you said there when you said all I did was learn quotes was mm. you learnt set answers to what you would expect set questions to be, almost like that structure of CO2 is the chemical formula for carbon dioxide in the sense of that is the right answer. Yeah. I think he's sounds very stupid to say he's niche because in the theatre community, he's not niche at all in any sense. And probably worldwide, he's not niche at all. But at school, you're probably in the minority if you sit down and genuinely enjoy Shakespeare. And I think he has a lot of potential to be an incredibly enjoyable playwright for young students. And I think it's, it's just a missed opportunity. I stand by what I said. I stand by it.
Right, so on to the third section. So this is a little clip from episode 10 where we discuss sort of evolution of digital theatre and, and how theatre is going to be going forward. But this little clip especially is about socially distanced theatre. And I'm interested to see what our naive early lockdown days thoughts on the subject are. I think you have to always think, what if we end up being locked back in our houses again? It's all right saying theatres are opening up and whatever. Yeah. I think there's that side of things of you have to think about what if we then can't do things again in three, four months' time again when we get into the winter. There is this thing about people are realising how accessible and how interesting work in a, in a digital capacity can actually be, and I think that that's really exciting. And I think that as artists, we always try to evolve and kind of yeah. react and respond to the times in which we're living in, and I think that we have to keep doing that for as long as we're living in these current times. I think it's all right to say we can get back to the theatre, but I do think there will be more of a digital element to all theatre moving forward. Because yeah. over the past five, ten years, you know, video projection has become a major part of set design and a major part of theatre. And I think that will just simply evolve into being able to stream things by being in the theatre, having that in-theatre experience, but also having that at-home experience. And thinking yeah. about all the differences, all the similarities, and how can we blend those together? So I do genuinely believe we have to be planning for the long term. Even if things do go back to normal, I think the use of digital equipment and uh, internet and all that sort of thing, I think it should stay. Because I think in terms of up-and-coming theatre companies, because as we discussed before, I think my sort of breadth of theatre of the area are interested in is the small scale stuff I think it'd be really helpful for young people uh people who are trying to set up a company people who are trying to develop to use technology to their advantage uh, so when it does come to eventually oh you've got a space to perform in they're not going in fresh they're going in having done a stage reading they're going in having uh, done the R&D having planned things through having met everyone multiple times so they're not going in and having the awkward phase to start with not knowing where to start they can really just throw themselves in and use the space better which a means the space will be used more efficiently because they can get people in and get them out quickly and it will mm -hmm. be efficient quick snappy and you can get more on and b it's just more professional people feel better about it um and i think there'll be more chance that people will be more interested in it well that aged well isn't it mm, that's not on that that's a that's an interesting one to look back on i mean i stand by it i think digital needs to stay like why wouldn't we want to make life easier for ourselves we spend all our time sort of having technology in the house and stuff to make things easier for ourselves why not do it to make work easier and i think your your points as well like the the whole concept of projection has become a lot more popular is sort of because it makes things easier and you can get really cool stuff out of it yeah i don't know i think i think using technology to enhance how theater progresses is the right thing to do as well as that why not keep social distance theater and just keep it as if lockdown was a lesson to learn on how to run things more efficiently and just for people as opposed to, I know it sounds stupid because you've got to make money to do what you want to do, but for people, not for profit, and try and, you know, just make good theatre that people can enjoy and have a culturally rich country going forward. And on that point of social distance theatre, that's actually a good point to wrap up this week's episode mm. because in our next episode, we are talking to the director, Rachel Hayburn, and she directed a performance of As You Like It last August, which was in a socially distanced environment. So I think that'll be a really interesting line to take through into the next episode when talking to her. And I'm also interested to hear across the course of this series how this 
period of enforced digital or virtual theatre that we've been through and are currently going through actually shape theatre's in-person future. And yeah. once the in-person theatre becomes normal again, will its influence remain in some capacity? And will it essentially be the perfect example of how art changes over time and responds to its contemporary yeah. situation? So I think that's something not just to talk to Rachel about in our next episode, but also throughout this series in general. It's going to be interesting to see how different levels of theatre makers, so people are fresh out of graduating, fresh out of uni, actors, writers, people like that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach the new world. So as we say, that seems like a good place to wrap up this episode of the Talking Theatre Podcast. We hope you've all enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, Tom, for anyone that may not be subscribed or whatever, how can people know more about us here at the Talking Theatre Podcast? Well, if you go to our Twitter or Instagram at the Talking Theatre Podcast, I'll find out what we're up to there. And if you want to collaborate or just send us more formal email, you know, if Twitter and Instagram aren't your sort of speed, you can send us an email at thetalkingtheaterpodcast at gmail.com. And with that in place, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Talking Theatre Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Adios.